Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I'm an alcoholic, everybody, but for the grace of God and the actions of AA and sponsorship, I've been sober since September the 15th, 1965, and I'm very pleased about that this morning. I, uh... I was having a conversation with Eve a few moments ago, and we were just remarking on how fortunate it is that uh, that we're still sober, because uh, when we came into AA, Eve came in when she was 37, and I was 33 when I came in, and uh, AA was much different then than it is now. And that there were so many people who came along in those years in between the time that Eve came in and, and today, or that I came in and today, uh, that have come through our lives and passed on and, and, uh, who didn't remain sober, who gave AA a chance in some fashion and, uh, uh, weren't able to stick with it. And the miracle is that somehow or another we are still sober. And somehow or another to the people in this room, uh, I want to say to you that you know, you're still sober, and that's a miracle. Most people who come to Alcoholics Anonymous do not stay sober. And uh, uh, we think to the contrary. We read in the big book, and it says that 50% of those who come and really try get to stay sober, and uh, 25% of those remaining eventually get to stay sober. Key phrase to that who is who really try. And we don't know what clarification in numbers that would make, I can tell you. But by talking to people who have been sober a lot longer than I have and, and just having conversations and talking to old Joe Lee, well, I know Joe for an example, and, and uh, Eve, and people who came into AA before I did and have been so, sober longer than I have, and I've talked to them, asked them what percentage of people that they thought stayed sober, and uh, maybe 20 maybe 20%. And uh, so if you're here and you're new in AA, the only thing I can suggest to you is that you find someone who has stayed sober a good deal longer than you have and do what they do. And even if they stop doing it, you continue doing it. And uh, you'll have a good chance to stay sober for the rest of your life. Uh, I think that without a commitment, without that sort of commitment, uh, that staying sober for the rest of your life, and that might sound difficult, and there may be some people who would disagree with me on that, but uh, I have a commitment, I made a commitment many years ago that I wanted to stay sober for the rest of my life, and uh, I think that I can do that. I think that I can stay sober for the rest of my life, and the reason why I think that is because the people who came before me in Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a program and suggested that I do it one day at a time. And I can stay sober one day at a time, and I know I can. I have. And uh, I think that because of those people who came before me, whom I honor and I respect and I revere, uh, I have been able to stay sober because I've done the things that they have suggested uh, to me to do. I've done some that they have told me to do. I have uh, taken their direction 
because they are at a place and always haven't been at a place where I wasn't. Um, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, if, if you haven't been sober as long as I have, let me express it to you this way. Uh, I have been sober as long as you have. And so I know what it is to be where you are. But you don't know what it is to be where I am yet. And that's the way I feel about it. I feel that Eve has been sober as long as she has been sober, which is, I believe, 40 years. And 43, I don't want to cheat her, for God's sake. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's 20, she's been sober over 20 years longer than I have. She knows something about staying sober that I don't know. And so I must necessarily listen to her because I want to go where she is. I want to be sober 43 years someday. And if I stay sober, you know, a day at a time, and if I follow the direction that she she gives, then I can do that. And I know I can because she has. And she is a human being just as frail as I am, uh, and I am just as frail as she. Uh, I know that I know that for a fact that, that uh, uh, she's just like me. And I know that because she's an alcoholic. Not because, not because of anything else. She's a woman and I'm a man and uh, she's older than I am. She has different experiences. But on the inside, it's still the same thing. And the same thing means that if you're an alcoholic, if you're a real alcoholic, as I feel that I am a real alcoholic, then I know you. And I know you better than I know my, my children. I really know the insides. I don't know the, you know, my, my children, I know the outsides of them. I know what they want me to know or what they appear to be. But I don't know what's really on their insides. But when it comes to an alcoholic, I know what's on their insides because I have, I am on the inside. I am an alcoholic. I am, I are one. And so I don't have any problem with that. I think that if I wanted to say anything else or to give you any other idea, uh, I would be remiss. And I would, uh, first of all, I have a sponsor, and I've had a sponsor ever since I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm in contact with my sponsor on a weekly basis. And uh, uh, that relationship, I, I call him every week, and I call him every week, not because I need to have a conversation with him each week. Sometimes our conversations are very brief. Uh, but I call him every week just to let him know and just to let me, let him know that I exist, one. And two, I call him every week so I can remember his phone number so that uh, if I need to call him at any other time that I can pick up the phone and call him. I have a continued relationship with him, and with that continued relationship, it allows me to maintain myself, maintain my sobriety and my spiritual condition as best it can. Sponsorship has always existed in Alcoholics Anonymous. Sponsorship isn't something new. If, if uh, you're relatively new to AA and you've never heard much about it, uh, it isn't new. Uh, sponsorship started off as probably the first man sober uh, toward AA. There was a fellow by the name of uh, Roland Hazard. And Roland Hazard got sober after 
uh, spiritual experience he had after spending much time with uh, Dr. Carl Jung over in Switzerland, having having had uh, uh, a long-term incarceration with this uh, famed uh, psychiatrist. And uh, uh, he was told that he was a hopeless case and that he would he would probably die drunk or crazy, locked up crazy. And on the way back uh, to the United States after his second try, feeling that all was impossible, he had some sort of a spiritual experience on the boat on the way back. And he uh, joined the Oxford groups when he got back to New York and uh, became very active there and uh, had uh, friends in New Hampshire was visiting uh uh, by a quirk of faith, he was visiting some relatives up there. Fellow name of Abby Thatcher got drunk and drove his car through the outside wall of someone's house into their kitchen. And uh, in doing so, with all the galat attitude of a drunk that a drunk would have, he opened the door and got out into the kitchen and said, "Pardon me, do you have a cup of coffee?" <laughs> well. The state of New Hampshire had been very upset with Abby and we were going to throw him in jail and, and Roland went to the court and said that he would take him under his wing and they said, don't ever let him come back here again. And so he took him down to New York and uh, Abby too became a member of the Oxford groups and he followed Roland Hazard around and was very active with the Oxford groups, he and Roland both. And he, after he had been sober for a while, he remembered a friend of his who was a stockbroker, and we know as Bill. Uh, and he called Bill, he and Bill had drunk together, but he knew Bill to be drunkard, as he. And he called on Bill and went over to see Bill, and he carried a message to him. And the message was, I am sober, and I am sober through six principles that I have learned here in uh, the Oxford group. And uh, if you would like for me to tell you about that or if you would like for me to help you stay sober, I can help you with that. And uh, Bill, after that meeting, chose to drink for another month. And uh, uh, after that month was over, he went into the uh, town's hospital and got sober. And Abby went to see him there. And, uh, Bill called him his sponsor for years and years and for many years uh, thereafter. And uh, I think that Ebby, more than anything else, made a 12-step call on Bill, which is certainly a part of sponsorship, but he certainly uh, was uh, couldn't well serve as, a, as an example of sobriety for Bill because he didn't stay sober himself. Uh, Ebby was one of these fellows who was reputed to be able to stay sober as long as he had a girlfriend who would support him. And there, there are some others like that in AA, I understand. <laughs> More power to them. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, Abby, you know, after many, many years of in and out, and I think at one time he had five years of sobriety, and, but he was, Abby was sponsored by many, 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 many people, uh, including our friend Joe, uh, Lee, uh, down in Texas, and he finally died at, uh, High Watch Farm in Connecticut, drying out farm up there, and uh, being supported by GSO and Bill Wilson until his last dying days. He died. He was sober two and a half years, and the only reason why he was sober is because he had emphysema so bad he couldn't walk off the farm to go in to get a bottle of whiskey because he was that kind of a drunk. 
And so sponsorship, he set an example for Bill, and he certainly showed Bill what not to do if he didn't do anything else. Uh, you know, he set an example, but I don't think in my terminology and my understanding that that's what, uh, that's sponsorship. I think it's setting an example of sorts, but I don't think it's sponsorship. I think sponsorship is setting a good example rather than setting a bad example. And, uh, uh, Bill's experience after he got sober and went down and moved in with Dr. Bob. Uh, I didn't know that that was a style. Or since I've been in AA, I've had some people that I've 12-step move in with me, but I've never... Moving in with my sponsor wasn't any idea. And I don't think it would even be acceptable today, as a matter of fact. Uh, but the point about it point about it is that he moved in uh, and spent uh, three months with uh, Dr. Bob and uh, initially because we didn't have the money to get back to New York and uh, but they put together AA uh, at that point of the beginnings of putting together Alcoholics Anonymous uh, attending Oxford groups and uh, the Oxford groups in uh, Akron and uh, uh, in reality Bill certainly 12-step Dr. Bob and in reality, he sponsored him to a great uh, extent. And uh, as far as I know, there wasn't anyone else that Bob would have called sponsor. Uh, Bill was it. Uh, Dr. Bob, after having been sober for some time himself, ended up uh, getting an itinerant salesman uh, coming into town uh, who had originally lived in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, this fellow's name was Clarence Snyder, uh, which many of you are familiar with. And Clarence Snyder, for all of his ups and downs in Alcoholics Anonymous and for all of his irascibility and all of his attitudes, which you may not necessarily agree with, uh, did one really great thing. One really great thing in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the really great thing that he did was uh, uh, to suggest that uh, uh, a fellow write some articles, some newspaper articles about Alcoholics Anonymous, which were written in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And Alcoholics Anonymous, as a result of that in Cleveland, uh, was flooded uh, with new members. Uh, hundreds of people began to uh, call for help and start to go to AA. And of these hundreds... Uh, one of those fellows was a, was a man by the name of Warren Chisholm, whom I knew very well. And uh, Warren said that he had been sober just a very short time, and that uh, when these Cleveland Plain Dealer articles were written, and all of a sudden he was just making 12-step call after 12-step call, and he was in charge of this area, and that one was in charge of that area, and all of a sudden Clarence wasn't in charge of AA in Cleveland, uh, that it was split up, and it was split up among the people that he sponsored, because that was where AA began, and it began to spread out, and it became, became more than one group of people. And as an end result of that, it proved that AA could work for large numbers of people. And it proved that someone could sponsor more than one person and that sponsorship worked uh, because they couldn't have the individual attention on those people at that point that they had previously. 
They had been able to take them into their homes and sober them up and get them on their knees to pray and ask God to forgive them for all of the uh, frailties in life and all of those sorts of things. And that was that was fine. But uh, when you have large numbers of people, it's harder to be, gets more and more difficult to be able to do that. And so I hear today people saying, well, this group is so big, I don't see how there can be any sponsorship in it. The same way they did in Cleveland, you know, back in, uh, in, uh, 19, uh, I guess it was 38 or 39 when the Cleveland Plain Deal articles came out. Uh, it's really very simple. It's one person talking to another. It has to do with the individual contact that that, that, that person has. Uh, my home group has 350 people in it. Actually, I have two, two home groups and my other home group out in Los Angeles, California, has uh, uh, more than 700 people who regularly attend. And if you think about that, you think, well, how can that? How can anybody be sponsored? Somebody, someone would be lost. And I think that you have to remember that Alcoholics Anonymous is not for the people who need it. It's for the people who want it. And all of the people who want to stay sober are going to stay sober one way or another. We can't stop them from staying sober. They are going to seek what they need, and they're going to seek and find a sponsor. They're going to make themselves available for sponsorship, and so that we can go to them or they can come to us and ask. There is a great deal of difference between, in my mind, between 12-step work and sponsorship. I believe that 12-step work, uh, as I understand it, uh, there may be is there anyone here who has never been on a 12-step call? Who's just never gone out to call on a drunk, a new drunk, a wet drunk? There's three or four of you. Larger number. If you have not gone out on a 12-step call, would you hold up your hand, please? Put it up. You know, so we can see what it is. You know, I'd say about 20% of the people in the room have it. Uh, I think that probably 50% of the people really have it. There are some of you who are not raising your hands because you don't want to look bad. Uh, <laughs> I think that because I just don't think that there are that many people who go on 12-step calls anymore. And the reason for that is there's a there, the world has been flooded with treatment centers and alcoholism counselors and all kinds of strange things that have kind of taken the place of that. And as a as an end result, frequently we don't see them until they have completed some intellectual course of treatment. Uh, and uh, so, making a twelve-step call on a drunk is something that's that's almost seems to be passe. Uh, but in some areas, and the area that I live in, in Bellevue, Nebraska, there are eight alcoholism treatment centers, and God knows how many sidewalk shops there are of counselors uh, uh, around. So we have we have an ample number of professionals who are able to uh, guide people to AA, hopefully. Uh, but occasionally, I still get the privilege of going on a twelve-step call. And that is someone who had called into the central office or 
made a call to a minister or to a doctor or made a call to my dentist or made a call to my attorney or made a call to other people that I've let know that I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous and they they let me they give me a ring and say I got somebody over here who wants to talk to a member of AA and I'll go out and I'll talk to them. And that sharing is uh is a similar thing to uh twelve step I mean to sponsorship and it's a sharing situation. Uh, going on a twelve step call like that very simply as our book says we share our experience, strength and hope with the with the new guy. We tell him a little bit what it was like and what happened and what we're like today. Just as we do in an AA meeting. It's the same sort of a process, except it's a one on one basis. And uh uh whether they go to AA or not is really up to them. It's we try to encourage them to go with us and go that night if, if possible. But uh certainly to go to AA as soon as possible. And uh that twelve step work by the way means to take someone as an eventuality to take them to an AA meeting. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to drive them to the local treatment center. Uh, if they want to drive, they want to ride to the local treatment center, they can catch a cab. You know, uh, we're not cab drivers or ambulance drivers. What we are is something else. We're out members of Alcoholics Anonymous and we're there to help others and do those things that are proper. I don't think today, uh, that it's necessary for me. I sponsor some people who are counselors. Uh, and, uh, I'm not, I'm really not sure that I would like to turn a brand new member over to them. Uh, <laughs> with hopes of any recovery, to tell you the truth. Uh, they seem to be sicker as a group of people than most. And, uh, to pass that along, pass that illness on to someone else, I have a little bit of difficulty with. Well, obviously, there are obviously many exceptions to that. And I mean that. There are obviously many, my host is an exception to that, as a matter of fact. But there are, there are many exceptions to that. But I will say as a, as a rule, it's a pretty sick group of people. And that's my opinion. Uh, so I really don't want to, I don't want to take a new man to turn him, turn him over to someone else. I want to turn him over in a spiritual fashion to God as I understand him. And God as I understand him works through Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think that Alcoholics Anonymous is not an intellectual pursuit, it's a spiritual pursuit. And I think that they can be introduced to God as they come to under, understand him through Alcoholics Anonymous as I was. And I know that AA works that way. And it was my experience because that's the way I came into AA. I didn't experience going through a treatment center. So I don't know how to do that. Sponsorship, on the other hand, is an ongoing relationship. At first, I would suspect it would be a daily relationship uh, with someone who is willing to help. Uh, I think that Sponsorship basically is allowing someone else uh, to superimpose their actions, their principled actions, over your intellect or my intellect. I have to bear in mind that when I'm making any decision on my life, 
and when I have ever made any decision on my life, that it's going to be tinted by all of my emotions. And my emotions that are uh, not good are those of being self-centered and selfish and self-serving. And as a result, when I'm getting ready to do something, uh, I'm going to think about how it's going to affect me. And uh, the more... Uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm going to think about how it's going to affect me. And I'm not going to think about how it affects others. And that's what got me to Alcoholics Anonymous in the first place, was not remembering that what I did had some effect on other people. So I have a sponsor that I call and I talk to, and I say, well, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And uh, he'll say, I don't think that you ought to do it that way. I think you ought to do it this way. And I say, oh, and I go ahead and do it that way. Because, very simply, the thing that happens again is that I'm willing for someone to interpret what I believe to be God's will for me. I believe that when I am involved in a decision-making process or when I am doing some meditating, that I have to be screwed up at that moment. I don't think that I go into life on a light, on life's terms on a daily basis, waking up in the morning with just a pure white brain where it's all pure on the inside. My, my brain is very convoluted and it's just screwed up when I wake up. It, matter of fact, it's kind of like badly scrambled eggs. And, uh, so if I start doing a little meditating in the morning, I'm gonna, well, mayhem would probably be in line. So when I start doing that form of meditation, I'm in trouble. And uh, what I need to do is to call upon someone else to make sure that what I'm thinking is correct or to correct it. So I'll take the correct action instead of the instead of the self-centered action that I necessarily would. The I know that that might sound difficult, but when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I really came there as a result of a lot of bad decisions. I didn't come to AA as a result of good decisions. I had made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision over and over and over again. Uh, one of the decisions that I made over and over and over again, which was a bad decision, was to pick up the first drink. And I just did it over and over and over again, expecting it would be different, and it was never different. It was always the same. So as an end result of that, I ended up uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results than it, than it had produced in the past. And uh, that's either dumb or crazy, and I'm not sure which one it was. But when I came to AA, I really didn't know what to do. I was divorced, and alimony, and I owed everybody money, and I was living with my widowed mother and my old maid sister, and I was 33 years old, and I had a job that they were getting ready to fire me from, and just all of those sorts of things. And I didn't know what to do with my life. I really didn't know what to do, and I was afraid to do anything because I had made so many bad decisions, I knew that I would not be able to make a good decision on, on anything. And so I needed someone to really, I needed a new manager in my life. And our first step, as I was told by my sponsor, suggests that if I was powerless over alcohol, 
and I was that. Uh, if I was powerless over something else, I would have gone somewhere else, but I went to Alcoholics Anonymous because I was powerless over alcohol. Uh, and the connecting part to that step said, said, and that our lives were unmanageable. And my life was unmanageable. My life had become unmanageable. And I really didn't know what to do. And my sponsor at that time suggested that, that, uh, I needed a new manager in my life. And he said, why don't you let AA be your manager? And I thought, what a goof. We didn't let AA be my manager. I didn't say it, but I thought it. I said, what do you, you know, I asked him, I said, what do you mean let AA? I said, I don't know what AA is. I said, how can I let AA be my manager? And he said, I will help you with that. I will teach you what AA is. I will teach you what the AA way of life is. I said, oh, well, that made sense. So all of a sudden, what I was doing was turning my life and my will over to the care of this guy as I understood him, which is what it really amounted to. And that's what I did. And I did what I was told to do. And I did what I was told to do because I didn't know what else to do. And I was afraid, I was deathly afraid that any decision that I was going to make was going to be a bad decision and it was going to put me in a position where I would have to drink again because I knew what it was to have to drink. And I was, a, and I knew that my decisions put me in a position where I felt like I had to drink. And having someone to help me with the decision making process and teach me how to make decisions all over again and to make correct decisions was a godsend to me. It really was a godsend. I really needed it. And I didn't bristle under it. I wasn't, I wasn't unhappy with it. I wasn't, I didn't feel like someone was bossing me around or telling me what to do. I didn't feel like they were interfering with my life. I felt that my sponsor was enhancing my life by paying a little bit of kind attention to me. And a little bit of unkind attention to me at the same time, teaching me and letting me know some things that I really didn't understand. It was very necessary for me to do that. I, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I turned myself over to AA as I understood it. And I did what I was told to do. And I did it to the best of my ability. Uh, I can't, in looking back in those first few months and years, I can't ever remember not doing what my sponsor had suggested I do. Uh, he suggested I go to a meeting every night, and I went to a meeting every night. He suggested I not take a drink one day at a time. He said, if you feel like taking a drink, he said, you should uh, eat something sweet because it gives you a physical sense of well-being. He says, you're not a diabetic, are you? And I said, no, not a diabetic. He said, fine. And I uh, suggested I not take any mood-altering chemicals, anything that would change me from here up. And he said, because it will prevent you from being able to grasp the simple program that's being presented to you. I have another sponsor today, aside from that fellow, and he says, you don't drink and you don't use no matter what, even if your ass falls off. And I understand that. And that, that I understand very well. And I understand it because... I can't be helped if I drink. It puts me beyond all help if I drink. 
it puts me beyond all help if I if I use any mood altering chemicals or smoke funny little cigarettes with no name or sniff white powder up my nose or whatever I do. So uh it puts me beyond the help of anybody. It puts me beyond God's help because I'm under control of whatever chemical it is that I put in my system. So I don't drink and I don't use no matter what, and sometimes it feels like my ass is going to fall off. And that's the truth yet today, and it's been the truth ever since I've been sober. But I have learned that, in fact, that that's not going to happen, that my life is not going to be, not going to fall apart, that my life, in fact, is not tragic, that it's dumb, and that I'm the originator of the dumbness, and, uh, and it doesn't have to stay that way. I can do something about it. I've learned that the condition alcohol uh, of alcoholism, that the disease of alcoholism, the condition, is something that I'm going to have all of my life. I've learned that there are going to be moments of loneliness and moments of sadness and moments of just collapse and moments where I don't want to see anybody and times where I don't want to be with anybody and, and uh, feelings of despair and loneliness uh, that will last as long as I let them last, that I can do something about it, I can get out of the situation. I like to think of it as I can remember when I was drinking it, the idea crossed my mind that what I would like to do is to go into a closet and close the door behind me and pull all of the clothes on the clothes are on the rack just over me and curl up in the fetal position and let out a premortal scream and at the end that would be the end and uh, uh, I never did it but I kind of wish I had to tell you the truth <laughs> I think it would have made me feel better uh, but occasionally today I find myself walking towards the closet you know occasionally I occasionally I in my mind's eye, I put my hand on the door, you know. Sometimes I even step inside. But the the point about it is that I don't have to stay in there. I don't have to put my hand on that knob. I don't have to walk in there. I don't have to curl up in that fetal position and make a pre-mortal scream. I can pick up the phone instead, and I can dial 1, 213-64-1258 and ask for him. And uh he just tells me I'm crazy and it's okay. <laughs> Go to a meeting and, you know, I say, Oh, that makes it simple. It's just simple. Because it is, what I'm thinking is never important. I mean it's never important to my sponsor, I can tell you that. <laughs> it's very important to me, but it doesn't just doesn't seem to be very important to him at all. I don't know I can't understand that. <laughs> I, uh, I'm also very fortunate in that I sponsor a lot of people. And, uh, in sponsoring a lot of people, uh, I get a lot of phone calls and people stop by to see me and my work is such that they can stop by during the day and interrupt my busy life with their petty crap. And, uh, they do so at the, at the most inopportune times, you know, when I'm contemplating the murder of my wife or 
perhaps sending a bomb to Eastern Maryland to take care of those two ex-children of mine or whatever. <clears throat> and, uh, but they walk in and they're newcomers and, you know, you have to be, you have to be pleasant with newcomers at first. You well, know. they may not come back. So, and you know that, you know, you have to give them a little pat on the back and, buck them up a little bit to make them feel a little better. And so they come in and tell me their sad story, which I listen to half of, if that much. I'm not a very good listener. Uh, they start off talking, and I really know what they're going to say before they have five words out of their mouth. And uh, so I I usually say, well, why don't you take, I have a box of billow pads in my desk, soapy billow pads. And I will pull one out, and I will say, you know, at the meeting, you know those metal ashtrays we have? I said, they get awfully dirty. Why don't you go down and take this and go down and wash them out? And come back and let me know, you know, if you have any problems washing them out. And they go down and wash them. Most of the time, they never come back. I don't know what happens to them. But I see them at the meeting that night, and they come up. Did you see the clean ashtrays, Dick? But at least they're not bothering me. I don't know what they I don't know if it does them any good or not. But they seem to be very happy and very proud of their lives by doing something that simple. By doing something just that simple. And my sponsor has has had me do things just that simple, which have made me feel like a man. Which has made me feel like it's okay to be married to Peggy. It's okay to be an employer, it's okay to be an AA member, it's all right to to uh, uh, to walk down the street, it's fine to be the father of this 20 year old fellow that lives in my basement, <laughs> emanates strange sounds from the guitar, and, you know. it's okay, it's all right to be that, as a matter of fact it's good. And most of the time, I feel very much that way. There aren't many times when I really find myself with my hand on the closet door. There are very few times. I think that uh, I think that the commitment to having a sponsor is very necessary. And when I say the commitment to having a sponsor, I some five or six years ago, five years ago, I believe, I uh, had decided that I was going to change sponsors after 17 years of, of having one sponsor, which was a very difficult decision for me to come to. And uh, I had had two people in mind uh, to take on this duty of sponsoring me. And uh, I was out in California and uh, I was speaking up in Sacramento, and I decided I was going to go down and see my friend in Los Angeles, and uh, made arrangements, told him I was coming down, called him, said I was coming back, and he said, good, look forward to seeing you, and so on. So I was on the plane from Sacramento down to Los Angeles, and I thought to myself, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask this man to sponsor me. And uh I thought to myself, yeah, but you know, he doesn't he doesn't sponsor anyone with facial hair. 
which is a misconception of mine. And, uh, uh, because he sponsors me and I obviously have a mustache, uh, but I thought, well, that doesn't make any difference whether he, whether he doesn't sponsor people with facial hair or not. If he wants me to shave my mustache off, I'll shave my mustache off. If he wants me to shave my head, I'll shave my head. I don't care what it takes. I want him to sponsor me. I want him to help me because I need some help because I feel unbridled. I felt like I was loose in the world of AA and I needed some sort of feeling of being a part of and being a part of the discipline of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I made up my mind on that airplane before I even asked him to sponsor me that I would do anything he asked me to do. Period. And it was just that simple. And uh, I walked into the midnight mission and I asked Clancy to sponsor me and please explain my plight to him. And he said, fine, Dick, I'll be glad to be your sponsor, but I am no longer your friend. And I said, the hell you're not. And he said, you do understand, don't you? And I said, yeah. Uh, there are times when he lets me know that he is my sponsor and that that's the way that is. And uh, I feel good about that because there are times that I have to let the people know that I'm their sponsor. I'm not just a companion. I'm not a peer of theirs. But in fact, that I'm someone who... Uh, to whom they owe some respect, some different sort of an attitude than they do those fellow members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I fancy explained it to me this way. He said, I think that you should respect, respect me because I'm in charge of your life. And I can understand that, and I take that, just literally. He's in charge of my life. He can change my life. Because he knows that I will do what I ask him, what, I, what he asks me to do. And he has changed my life. So having a sponsor is a very important sort of thing. It's nothing new about it. Where there's strong sponsorship, there's strong AA. Where there's weak sponsorship, there's weak AA. Anyone can be a sponsor. There's a, a couple of people that I would like to ask to share for a few minutes, uh, this morning in this session, uh, one of which I asked previously and he agreed to do so, and the other one that I had not asked, but I know that she will agree. Eve, can you share for a moment, please? My friend, Dick Martin. <laughs> Hi, my name is Eve, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I've just been sitting here absolutely overwhelmed by my own deficiencies. Because Dick has presented such a tremendously strong case about sponsorship and its importance and the need for it and how meaningful it can be in each one of our lives on both the giving and the receiving end. And I'm realizing uh, that I have been feeling just the way he said he felt 
that towards the end when he was asking Clancy to be his sponsor, that I mean, was sort of, uh, you didn't use the words in limbo, but I got the feeling that was what you meant, and that's kind of the way uh, I had been feeling. Uh, when I first got sober, uh, I walked into the old 24th Street clubhouse, and there was a man sitting there all alone, and there were a couple of other people in a little group, and so the man was the one I talked to, and I called him my sponsor. And uh, he lived out in Forest Hills, and I lived up on Riverside Drive uh, with an alcoholic husband who did not want sobriety, and he did permit me to go to one meeting a week. And uh, so I didn't see Dan very often, but I did use the telephone communication and knew how important that was, that there was somebody that I could talk to. And then eventually, after a year or so, I asked another uh, la a lady to be my sponsor. And she and I, really and truly, when I look back at it, at thinking about what Vicka said this morning, she really and truly was more my friend than she was my sponsor. And so, in many ways, I have missed a lot of what Vic has been talking about. And right now, I am very much in that position of feeling, as a matter of fact, I was sitting there wondering who I was going to ask to be my sponsor. Because I don't have a sponsor. And the last three years have been different for me uh, because of the fact that I have been arrogantly healthy for many, many years and have never been really grateful enough, I don't believe, for the fact that I have had such tremendous good health. But then in 1944, things began to happen. I guess you have to expect it. <laughs> Well, I fractured my hip in 84, in 85 I got cancer, in 86 I had malaria as a result of a trip to the Himalaya Mountains. And uh, I just kind of have withdrawn. I still am active, I suppose people say I'm active. I try to keep busy, but there's a hole. There's a hole at my center right now. And I am very grateful to Vic for finding that out soon. Thank you. No disrespect for Eve's age at all, but anybody at that age who goes to the Himalayas deserves malaria for Christ's sake. Deserves something for it. Bill, come on up. Bill and I share the same disease and the same sponsor, so. My name's Bill Wright, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a member of the Pacific Group out in West Los Angeles. Uh, Clancy's my sponsor, and came along here to visit some relatives in Miami for a day or so, and then enjoy your workshops here. And Dick uh, asked me to say a little bit about my experience with sponsorship. And I know, uh, I believe, a lot more now. I've been sober for 11 and a half years uh, than I did about sponsorship originally. I accepted a sponsor against my better judgment, <laughs> which is precisely why I needed one. 
Clancy was not my first sponsor. I, uh, first sponsor I had was a, a fellow I'd met at, uh, when I was new in AA and asking me to be my sponsor. He, and he was my sponsor for five years. And then he moved out of town. He moved, uh, out of the, out of the state of California. And before he left, he, one of the things he says, I want to be very sure now, Bill, before I leave, I want you to have a sponsor. Who's it going to be? And I toyed with that thought for a while. And I actually came up with, with Clancy against my better judgment because I knew all about him by then. And I knew how, uh, well, I thought I did, but and a lot of it was right because I'd observed him sponsoring a lot of the people I was in the Pacific group at the time. So I sort of knew what I was getting into. And uh, kind of the beauty of, of sponsorship as it's been demonstrated to me is that uh, I kind of knew that I ought to have a sponsor and I wanted a sponsor that I could kind of control and manipulate a little bit. <laughs> and yet, somehow, I knew full well that that would have been probably the worst mistake I could make. So, as I say, against my better judgment, in a way, <clears throat> I asked Clancy to be my sponsor. And he never says yes. He says, come on down and we'll talk about it. And so I went down and talked to him about it. And uh, he started out with the, I suppose, the way he worked with everybody. I had I called him every day for a while and get this contact. So the, the telephone number is in my mind. And what I discovered was happening. Clancy and I have even talked about this, but there's a, he says that it's not true, it was not true in my case, but I think some people apparently have been able to come to AA fairly well surrendered, where they're ready to just get the book, work the steps, be full-fledged, grow spiritual growth and the whole thing just comes flowing right out of them. But some of us come in rather unique, different. That great defense against AA program of knowing that you're different. And I had that. And I think particularly people like that, less than than bottom-bottom, but still have, I still had all the ways of, of uh, of coping with problems that I'd done for all those years and, and they would they would still be my first choice of how to deal with something would be to, you know, either get out of town or get a gun or whatever, you know. And, <laughs> and so I did need this uh someone else's judgment imposed over mine. And I knew Clancy did that. And I knew that it worked. There's another thing I've noticed, and I've heard other people uh, uh, comment on it, that the one thing that was happening to me 
rather subtly that I didn't even know it was happening except I can look back and see that it happened. Is it without e me even knowing it, the things that I was being directed to do always ended up in the final analysis being me doing something for someone else. Almost never for Clancy. For somebody else. Either a newcomer, a fellow uh, member, or maybe even one of these normies. You know, these, but it's one of the big principles of, of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, of course, is to particularly like me, guys like me, to, we have to learn to do it. But to learn to be of service to other people. And that did not come naturally to me. And frankly, I don't know what would have happened if it had come to me in the form of a lecture or a counseling session. Bill, I want you to go out this week and be of service to others six times. Jeez, I'd, I'd forget that. I'd get me a new counselor, you know. But somehow I was able to respond to a phone call that says, Bill, I want you to, it's 5.30 this afternoon, I want you to go pick up so-and-so 20 miles away and, and bring him to the meeting, you know. That I could do. So I've discovered that one of the things, two things, really, that I've gotten out of the sponsorship both sponsors, but particularly from Clancy, and I see it all the time with him, with, he, with all of his babies, there is. Number one, when something, when I'm walking through life and running up into a, a real problem area, I can go out and buy a sport coat all by myself. But when it's deciding what to do about the problem I've got with a boss, or at home, or some, a problem that can lead to trouble. I need some guidance there. I need somebody else's objective opinion as to what I should do and for me to do it even though I don't want to and I think he's wrong. I'll do it and it's worked out. The other thing that I get out of it, and to me is the, the essence of, of good sponsorship, that he's able to make me do these things that if I, maybe 10, 20 years from now, after I've reached this plateau of serenity, I will do automatically. <laughs> but it just somehow doesn't come to my mind nowadays these things I can do for other people. And he's able to present that to me in a way that uh, I go do it. And the rewards are there every time. And uh, I think, Dick, that's about my best contribution toward how uh, sponsorship works for me. Yeah. Thank you very much, Bill. I, uh, when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was told that the object was for me to get to the meeting a half an hour or 45 minutes early and that I could leave when my sponsor left. <laughs> he always closed down the meeting. Always. I mean, they were, it was like in the bars, you know, where they turn the lights on and off to get us out. 
they were doing that to get him out. And uh, I formed a habit of doing that, and I always try to get to the meeting half an hour or 45 minutes ahead. And uh time to have some fellowship before the meeting, and I stay usually one of the last ones to leave and get some fellowship after the meeting and become a part of. Uh, you can't feel like that you're a part of if you dash in there at 8.30 and leave at 9.30. There's no way that you can feel a part of Alcoholics Anonymous in doing that. And there's occasions when we have all had to do that for one reason or another. And I, whenever I do that, I always feel like I, I, I didn't go to a meeting. You know, it's like I was, I was feeling the square that time. And that's like going to noon meetings to me. I feel the same way. You know, you go there and people show up and then they leave. You know, there's never anything else. You just, I feel like I'm automated. And I don't think that I get an opportunity to be a part of the whole fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I get some exposure to the program under those circumstances, but the fellowship part I don't feel a part of. Uh, I think it's very necessary from the very beginning, because it was for me, and obviously it was for Bill, and obviously it's what my sponsor believes in, that Alcoholics Anonymous is not a self-help program. Contrary to popular belief today, it's not. What Alcoholics Anonymous is, is a help others program. And it's necessary for me to remember that what I am here for in life is not to help myself. I've been a taker in all of my bad moments. But it's to help others and to attempt to be a giver and to give to a situation as much as I possibly can not to take from a situation. And as long as I do that and when I do that, I feel I feel like I have a relationship with God and my fellow man like I never had before in my life. I want to thank you very much for being attentive. Uh, I'm going to try this again at about 10.45. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.